0: Today, we're continuing with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. We're also continuing on element six, which is receiving Jesus Christ, responding to the gospel, key components, and exchanges. So the whole idea is in the gospel, it calls for action, it calls for a decision. We're trying to uh, put a lot of content to what it means to receive Jesus Christ and uh, help you understand that it, that's it is you are born again at a particular period of uh time conversion is more of a process sanctification and maturation are definitely a process but uh which we'll be getting into in element 7 and 8 and so uh but um it's it's important what we're what we're kind of experiencing today in the church is two phenomena. We're, we're experiencing unconverted Christians who think they're converted, and that is rampant. And if you study Jesus' teachings on on the wheat and the tear, etc., if you go through the you know the early church, what's called the Apostolic Fathers, the pre-Nicene and post-Nicene Fathers, if you go through, say, the Reformers, the Calvinists, the Puritans, Even the Arminians of Phineas in the 19th century, there's lots of attention given to true and false conversion. That's almost never discussed today. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And because of our kind of Greekified, making Christianity an abstract intellectual, do you have the right doctrines and theories, And stopping there, without do you have the right experience and lifestyle, and is that you know fully biblically complete? uh, We're we're kind of in a situation where most people, when they hear "test yourself to see if you're in the faith," would say, "Do I have this the right checklist of doctrines that I intellectually agree to?" With no sense of does my Christianity look at all like the early church or? Like the like the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints, or um, is it biblically measurable, and so forth. So, in element six, what we're trying to really do is help you have the tools to say, "Have I completely received Christ? Am I truly converted?" Am I, uh, because self deception, thinking you're in a place that you're not, is a major theme of the New Testament. If you uh, study something like the 12 step groups, things in our time, uh, the concept of denial is very, very close to the New Testament concept of self deception. I'm somewhere, I think I'm somewhere that I'm not really. And uh, so what you want, what we're trying to do in element six, receiving Jesus Christ, responding the gospels, go through a whole lot of uh, soteriological terms. You know, soteriology is, is the theological terms for the ideas concerning salvation. And we've looked at uh, a bunch of words that have to do with what saved really means, what receiving really means. A few. Uh, that's uh, by the way. We're on Roman numeral five. They're just summarizing what we've done in element six. Uh, the the eight elements, of course, are always listed in Roman numeral one. And uh, number six is in bold print, indicating that's what that we're on. That today is six U. By the way, six U, uh, which is on. We're going to look at what sin is today. We're going to look at three terms that are used in various church traditions. One is original sin that tends to be used in the uh, uh, Catholic tradition. We're going to look at the the term total depravity, which was used by the Reformers, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Jonathan Edwards, etc., the Puritans. We're going to look at sin nature, which is used by the modernist evangelicals. Uh, the modern Bible-believing, in quotes, church. And uh, we're going to look at what they should mean and what they shouldn't mean. None none of the terms are particularly problematic, except they've all become problematic in what the people who use the terms mean by them. So uh, we'll be looking at that as we go. Uh, I was starting to summarize what we have done in 6A, Again, we've covered kind of the word saved, which is the most misused term in soteriology as it is because, uh, and we've covered that so much I'm not going to review that. But if you don't know why the word saved is misused today, to the point where you still say to people, are you saved? You really should get with some of our leaders and get, do a little study on what that actually means. Because you were saved in all eternity and you were saved uh, 2,000 years ago, and you appropriated a portion of your salvation when you received Christ, and you will be saved uh, utterly and totally in uh, the next age. So <laughs> so uh, when someone says, are you saved, you, it, it, that's really kind of indic- indicative that they don't understand the biblical ideas of soteriology very well. And that is probably the most common expression regarding the ideas of soteriology today, by which we mean, are you born again or converted? (laughs) But that's not how the term is used at all in the Bible. So um, we've looked at regeneration terms, being made alive, born again, things like that. We've looked at conversion terms. I want to make sure you understand that some of those messages would really help you, you, especially the one on conviction and what that is, uh, contrition, so many Christians lack contrition today. Uh, it, if you are at all experiencing that you're not on f- as fire as much as people you read about in, say, the New Testament, or you've met uh, on occasion Christians or read about Christians historically that are more passionate for God than you, I would really encourage you to consider rethinking some of these words and see how much they're operative in your life and cry out to God to make them offering. Contrition, such a missing element. Uh, We looked at the difference between repentance and remorse, what it means to renounce things, and so forth. And uh, so um, last week we looked at the doctrine of of adoption, and that's summarized in Roman numeral 6. We uh, made the point that it's neglected, misunderstood, and undervalued today and that it's been changed by um, our neo-Gnostic modern Christianity, which hopefully you mean, know what that kind of means by now, are over-spiritualized into just uh, a nice concept that has to do with, do I belong to the family of God and am I going to heaven? But it has much more adoption has much more to do with the earth. And it, uh, adoption was the means in the scriptures by which we enter into the inheritance of God And as it says of our Lord Jesus Christ, ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as their inheritance. Since the the, uh, incarnation of Jesus Christ, there has been a gradual process that will increase and continue. There shall be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace until he comes back to receive a kingdom prepared for him. And gradually the nations are becoming his. And you, as adopted, are a fellow heir of the grace of Christ. And you are called to, uh, in a servant leadership, humble, empowered by the Holy Spirit way, take dominion of all things, business, culture, etc. And to make disciples uh, that, that are not just spiritual disciples, but that are uh, bringing the, the, the crown rights of King Jesus to bear on all of human life. Adoption is a means of, of covenant succession. So, today we're going to uh, try to move a little bit toward a biblical understanding of sin. Uh, what I always, you know, none of these uh, topics, uh, even though you might, because of today's standards, you might consider a series where we're on the 70th lesson. In a in a series called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christ, Christian Gospel, overdoing it. No who no one would do that today. <laughs> and no one would be on uh part twenty-one of just element six. However, honestly, uh looking at it from a different perspective and from really taking seriously the doctrine of plenary inspiration that all scripture is inspired by God, uh All I can actually do is introduce you to to the words so that you'll develop them more as you continue to study and seek God and pray and get to know the whole Bible. That you'll have uh, at least a more biblical definition in your heart and mind of what these things mean. And really, I'm just giving you a start and pointing you in the right direction. So so let's get into this. First point I want to make, point A, toward the bottom of page one, is that this doctrine, like so many, is misunderstood today. It's especially reduced. In other words, the definitions are incomplete. Uh, going back to our grace series, I gave you know one of the great examples of this reductionist idea is that grace is defined today as God's undeserved favor. And that is uh, true... But it's so incomplete as to be virtually almost worthless. That would be like saying Davion is a nice young man that sits in the second row. That's true, but I but I'm sure that uh, God would want you to know more about Davion <laughs> than he's a nice guy that sits in the second row. And uh, so, let's try to get in towards this uh, this idea of sin and understand that it's been misunderstood, reduced, wrongfully defined, and misapplied in most manifestations of modern Christianity. That's a pretty bold statement, right? Most manifestations of modern Christianity misunderstand the concept of sin. And if you don't understand the concept of sin deeply and correctly, and so that you realize how deep, deep the sins of your heart are, it will totally affect your ability to uh, be in love with God and be zealous with God, as we hopefully will see. Um, In fact, that leads into the second point. Understanding and becoming fully convicted of sin is a key. It's not the only key, but it is a key element in overcoming our contemporary or modern compromise complacency. If there's anything that characterizes Christianity in our day, it's um, when you look at the saints of the Old Testament, when you look at the saints of the New Testament, when you look at various moves of God throughout history, you could take the Moravian brethren who were responsible for a prayer meeting that went on night and day 24-7 without interruption that lasted just over 100 years and began the modern missionary movement, came out of that prayer meeting, and John and Charles Wesley were converted by Moravians, and it uh, impacted nations uh, for, for centuries to come. When you look at some of the, the kinds of Christians that have, that have uh, walked this planet, if there's anything that's probably uh, characterizing us, it's kind of um, uh, a certain amount of confusion and a, and a certain amount of complacency it's like the old joke what is what's the problem today apathy or ignorance and the answer being i don't know and i don't care <laughs> you know and uh, um so and apathy and ignorance are just rampant in our hearts and in our churches today we just want a little bit of churching up and this doctrine of sin if you get fully convicted of sin you will be passionate in your love for god So, uh, it's the key to real zeal, to real passion, and to what it really means to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How can a Christianity say it loves God when almost no Christians read the whole Bible? How can you love God with your whole mind if you're not serious about studying his word? Which John so eloquently brought to the pastors yesterday. So, um, Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The deeper you see your sin, the more you'll experience what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that in, in the ages to come, we'll praise the unfathomable greatness of his grace. The more you see his sin, the more that will open your eyes to see grace and experience grace and see your need for grace. You know, one of the teachings in the Grace series is attitudes for appropriating grace. Uh, The more you see your sin, the more humility will be just natural. Humility is not a humble bumble and a false humility like I'm just a loser. (laughs) Humility is realizing your spiritual poverty, that there is nothing good that dwells in us. And everything that's in us uh, that has any iota of goodness is because they're uh, the grace of God. Uh, you know, Galatians 2.20, if you haven't memorized that by now, I've probably quoted that a hundred times in this series by now. Uh, you know, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. No, uh, you know, when you begin to understand sin, you'll overcome all self-righteousness, all judgmentalism, And you'll really walk, you know, in this, as we've talked about our lifelong journey of entering into grace upon grace-based Christianity instead of performance-based, you have to start with understanding sin to reposition yourself by grace every day, in every hour, in every minute. So uh, that's our third point. Essential to grace-based approaches is uh, that triumph over performance-based is seeing... uh, the depth of our sin first john 4 19 um says we love because he first loved us remember when they were upset at jesus because he let the woman wash his feet and i think somebody quoted that in a teaching recently did you do that last week john or tom kelby on friday night somebody was talking about that recently uh it might have been thursday night at, at rock campus fellowship i don't know somebody was alluding to that and uh Sam Poon brought that up at Rock Campus Fellowship. So, um, you know, whoever is forgiven much loves much. But because of uh, some things we're going to hopefully get to today and hopefully make clear to us, you do not need to have stolen a car, killed anybody, except maybe in your heart, uh, <laughs> committed adultery, ever been drunk, you may, you could have never overeaten <laughs> once. That of course you probably wouldn't live in America. But uh, uh, you could have never been a little bit lazy and not uh, you know every day of your life you've cheated your sleep from eight hours to six or seven so you could diligently get up and so forth. Um, but the truth is, um, you're a sinner as bad as any sinner in the Bible. And, what, and hopefully by the end of today, you'll start, at least have the intellectual concepts to be able to do what Hebrews 4 tells us to do. Draw near to the throne of grace to find help in times of need. The thing to always start with, performance-based wants to kind of hide, say, well, I'm this good person. I'm this. What we need to start with is, God, I'm a sinner, <laughs> helpless, save me from myself. And when, we, when you begin to understand sin, conceptually, you can begin to say, God, work a deep understanding of that into my, the fabric of my being. So there would be no self-righteousness left. No performance base left. Because no, humility, uh, very bold, confident, uh, authoritative, and knowledgeable people are, are, are quite humble as long as all of that boldness, authoritativeness, and confidence is in Christ and in the power of his spirit and the authority of his word. Moses was not some humble bumble with his tail between his legs. Uh, Obviously, you know, the earth opened up and swallowed people. (laughs) All kind of stuff. Uh, He was, had probably not well, it's probably not a disciple of uh, Dale Carnegie, you know, how, to, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> he was not particularly always a nice guy. But what he was is it says the man Moses was the humblest man in all the earth. And he wrote that. And it was correct. It's the inspired, inerrant word of God. So understanding sin is a necessary ingredient in, in, in zeal, And and grace, because most of all, it's the the basis of humility. So let's uh, flip over and start to define uh, sin and try to move past the reduced definitions of our day and understand the reduced definitions of our day and hopefully uh, move toward a more complete definition. Then we can begin to ask God to convince us, convict us by the Holy Spirit of our sin. So that we can be recipients of his grace. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful a little bit. And it just needs to see a psychotherapist Christian counselor for a couple of years. And then it can be reformed. I, was, I, I keep getting these paraphrased translations. It's got a little bit of sniffles and a cold it's desperately sick you know i remember uh one time being in the intensive care in a situation where they couldn't get my oxygen level to get up to the to the minimum level to sustain life and so forth and i was like i could feel like what it means to have your breath leave you and you're going to die <laughs> And it's like, this wasn't, this wasn't, uh, I'm sneezing once in a while and I have, have, feel a little feverish. This is, I was on the border between death and life. Your heart is desperately sick. In fact, it's dead, as we're going to see. That's pretty sick. You know, you, you know, like, come out, someone goes to visit someone in critical care and, they, you're, only so many can go in at a time, so when he comes out, everyone says, So how's he doing? Is he, is he, is he still pretty sick? No, he's dead. <laughs> uh, isn't that funny? Uh, <laughs> that's really what our condition is. So First John, John 3, 4, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is not lawlessness. Now, whenever you see that, it says NASB, but then CF means compare or confer. The New King James Version says everyone who commits sin commits lawlessness. Now, is there anybody here who's ever committed sin? <laughs> Hello, are you awake? <laughs> okay. Didn't get that many hands on that, so either you're dead completely or or just too lazy to raise your hand. But uh or you're lying to yourself. Um so everyone, and you know again I, I say this all the time, but one of the tricks of reading the Bible is you've got to get the everyones, the each ones, the anyone. And you kind of got to get past any mental gymnastics that doesn't apply that to me, to yourself. You are included in everyone. (laughs) And we have these mental gymnastics where somehow we're not quite everyone. You know, when God has given to each one gifts and so forth, that includes everyone. I'm really deep, aren't I? Everyone means everyone. All means all. (laughs) But there are mental gymnastics we go through where we just don't let it hit. I actually underline the word everyone all the time when I'm reading, or anyone, or whoever. I love the whoever's. God is no respecter of persons. Everyone who practices sin. So, let's kind of get into how this is looked at uh, historically and in our day. Uh, The Catholics use a, a doctrine called original sin. Now, that term started with uh, Augustine trying to describe the the Bible's definitions of the doctrine of sin, and especially St. Paul, or Paul, if you're not Catholic. Or, oh, a lot of Protestants call him St. Paul, St. Augustine, and so forth. Now, um, the problem with th- this is that over time, how Paul and Augustine were using the idea of sin has been reduced uh, and we need to move back to using it the, the way they completely used it, okay? So, one way it's used is the sin of Adam is called original sin. M- most commentators would call it the original sin or the original sin, like the Ohio State University, which lost last night, period of mourning. Uh, uh, which you can read about in Genesis 3, and we've taught on many times, you really need to kind of spend some time diagnosing everything that goes on in, in Eve's temptation and Adam's falling and, and, and the whole deal. You really need to, you know, that's very foundational to understanding how to walk with God. Uh, normally, uh, the word original sin means the consequences of that first sin, and the hereditary stain, which in which we're born, when, which with with which we are born, on account of our origin or our descent from Adam, in a mystery, in the Bible uh, there are what's called federal heads, and you were an Adam and you were an Eve when they sinned, and in fact you willingly participated in their sin with them. And that's a major doctrine of the Bible. Now, the problem is is that many Catholics, uh, perhaps most Catholics, reduced this idea to just a black mark or a hereditary stain. And so when I was growing up I was Catholic and I was taught in Catholic first grade that I had a black mark on my soul and that that was removed by baptism. Now, the problem is that's an error. It's, you, it's, it's a lot more than a black mark on your soul. It's that your whole being, which was created in God's image, every aspect and fiber of that being has, has come under a power called sin that twisted from what it was intended to be to other things. Has anybody ever tried to turn over a new leaf and study habits or self-control or whatever, and then it didn't work out so well? <laughs> you know, like the you know the uh, it's kind of legendary for people to have New Year's Eve goals that are pretty much gone by New Year's Day, <laughs> or or thereabouts. You know the what do you call them workout places, health uh, spas, whatever you where you can you know where Planet Fitness gyms, whatever you call them, they really take advantage of that and they market heavily discounts and stuff to join in December, and January, and they know that all the, and that's why they want you to get you in a contract, <laughs> whatever way they can keep, this, so that you keep paying after you quit <laughs> working out. And uh, so, uh, it's the, the idea of, of original sin is much deeper than a black mark on your soul. And when you reduce it to a black mark on your soul, which is a biblical error, it's deception, it's uh, perhaps bordering on a concept called heresy, outside the bounds of Christian faith. When you error begets other errors, kind of like if you tell a lie, you usually have to tell other lies to to correct that lie. And so, when you believe a lie, other you believe other lies out that come out of that lie. And this is kind of the progression that happens with when you reduce original sin. To uh, black mark, you fall into the concept called baptismal regeneration, which John clearly, he, John has taught us twice on the biblical case for, for the eternal covenant, uh, leading to infant baptism and so forth, and how the church has understood that through the centuries. And one of the one of the mistakes that some people who baptize children fall into is believing the baptism itself regenerates you or saves you. Baptism makes you a member of the church and the family of God but you still have to be converted. You still have to come under deep conviction of sin, you still have to begin to hear the voice of God and be born again. You still have to be uh c- confess your sins and repent and renounce and turn and so forth. All the elements we're studying of conversion have to happen in your life whether they happen gra- gradually is uh, as you grow up in the things of God, or uh, in some very cataclysmic time period of your life. Uh, you, know, I, you know, for me, 1974, uh, all these kind of things began to happen in my life. It took about six months in my case to, to go, you know, to be converted and all that. But, uh, you know, some people can point to an exact day. Not a lot of people can. October 2nd, 1971, Catherine Weiss. Um, but, uh, the, you know, whenever you think that that um, original sin is just some shallow thing, then you're going to believe some idea like baptismal gener- regeneration, that that in itself uh, erases that sin, where it Baptism is about forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't replace the new birth and conversion and regeneration and so forth. So, uh, now, um, one of the the ways that works itself out falsely is in the 4th century a lot of Christians actually began to wait until they were going to die to get baptized because they started embracing an idea of baptismal regeneration. So they said, well, I might as well get baptized just before I die so I can't commit any more sins because they didn't understand the work of justification by grace or, or conversion or anything. Uh, and, and that is actually what the Emperor Constantine did which caused a lot of people historically have questioned whether he was converted or not. But if you really study out the facts, he was converted fully to Christianity, but he was converted to a very uh, performance-based gospel with a wrong idea of baptismal regeneration. And therefore, he waited till he was about to die to get baptized, which is a very sad state of affairs, but historically a problem that's happened in the church. Look what you have to look forward to in the church history class. Um, when you see um, when you see just it being a, a, a blemish or a stain that's that's cleansed or erased, instead of a sin propensity that works its way through your whole being, there will be other co- consequences. One of which is you'll preach a performance based salvation. Okay, your sins were washed away. Just quit sinning. How's that working for you? Uh, you know, uh by in and of yourself, by your own grace, make better choices and just quit sinning. Well, the word of God does command us to quit sinning, but that is only done by the grace of Christ. So um, that always will lead to a doctrine that came in uh uh sometimes called what um, Augustine versus Pelag- Pelagius. Uh, Pelagianism, which is this idea that man, uh, the, the Pelagianist, uh, we're going to study that in much more detail in the church history class, but the idea that, uh, you know, Adam just made a wrong choice, and if we have anything that comes from Adam, it's just that that gets washed away, and therefore, uh Christ was Christ was righteous by his own performance-based righteousness, and so can you be. And that and it kind of leads to a very man-centered way of looking at Christianity that's very performance-based. And it's kind of the root of what a lot of people call today's Christianity in, in evangelical circles moralizing therapeutic deism. Like you just need to be read the Bible more and go to church more and go to the right school and do the right thing and do do to change your environment. That's what the the this, the Pharisees were environmentalists in the sense that they uh, thought because the woman was washing Jesus' feet and 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 wa- with her hair and crying and washing with her tears and her hair that because she was around because. He shouldn't be, if he was a righteous person, he wouldn't be around such an unrighteous person. He would control his environment to only hang out with the other self-righteous prudes like they did. And that's what they were always trying to do was uh, define themselves as were the right kind of people. And, and Christians today are raised, you're, you're raised in church like you need to not hang around the wrong kind of people. Which is the opposite message what, in Matthew 16 when he says, We're going to the gates of Hades. <laughs> and, you know, you're supposed to go liberate the wrong kind of people. And you can't uh, liberate them without hanging around them. That doesn't mean you're supposed to, you know, bad company still corrupts good morals and you're not supposed to be part of their lifestyle. And that's why Jesus sent people out in twos and that's why we operate out of community and, and so forth. And, but you're, you're to hang around all the wrong kinds of people. You can meet a lot of them at Grace Christian Fellowship, and, uh, <laughs> and begin to work out from there. Uh, so, uh, you know that's that's really important to begin to understand. I got to move along. Um, every performance-based thing has t- has twin psychological consequences. One is we embrace a certain amount of self-righteousness. We see. Uh, that was something that God really helped us with in starting this inner city ministry and so forth. You kind of get this in this performance based thing like well we 're better than the alcoholics and the people living on the street, or are we really you're you know as we 're going to see you 're never going to help anyone until you identify with them. Of course, another false consequence of uh, a wrong doctrine of sin is is purgatory because uh, you're always su- self-condemned and you're always judgmental and you're always self-righteous and you have all these twin psychological problems going on and that's the fruit of performance based And so you're never at peace with God, so you invent this kind of thing. That's That was kind of the basis for why purgatory was invented. If you don't know what purgatory is, I, I didn't manage my time well enough to, uh, maybe I should have done three weeks on sin and just done the Catholic view for... For one week but um, you know that you can kind of have your sins purged by punishment and then that also leads to an idea called penance where instead of like self-examination and, and crying out for grace and so forth you earn your you earn your forgiveness of sin by saying so many prayers or giving so much money or doing so much many deeds of righteousness that idea is thoroughly in our law system like 100 hours of community service is that going to change your heart? Probably not. So, uh, and that's where the whole idea of indulgences came from. In all sorts of false race-based religions, I wish I had meant to use Islam as an example, Islam is very oriented towards self-performance righteousness. That's the way the doctrine of jihad. But, it, you know, uh, there's no purification of heart. I had meant to spend some time developing that a little bit, but I can't. Total depravity. Let's go on. You know, again, that's the reformed idea. I put a website that you can uh, read a little bit more about it. It's sometimes called total inability or total corruption. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that it is total, but it's misunderstood. Again, all of these were trying to get past the misunderstood or reduced ideas. In that, it does not totally erase the image of God from people. And therefore, although every deed and every motivation and every attitude of your heart is sinful, it's not necessarily perfectly sinful. (laughs) Okay, so... um, Let's get into it. The first thing about total depravity is it's basically saying you were born in this condition of sin, and the first aspect of that is that you want to suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness, as Romans 1 brings out. You have something innately that you were born to that does not love God or seek God with your whole being. I I wish that you had all been here Friday night, and I hope you'll listen to Tom Kelby's sermon from Friday night, and we'll... Next week we'll be giving you a link to uh, be able to listen to the podcast from yesterday's teachings because Tom really uh, developed this very well and this is very kind of the essence of what we are up against when people have been brought up in evangelical Christianity and, they're, and they're, it's the reason why almost all people brought up in, in the church today are not that on fire because you don't see yourself as that sinful. You just need a little church up. And so you don't, you, because, and that is tied into a concept called antinomian legalism. So you kind of think sin is, is drunkenness and stealing and killing people and so forth. And you kind of go, well, I've been a pretty good person. I've gone to church all my life. I've never done that. And you don't see that the essence of sin is like, is every waking thought and motive and attitude of your heart to be zealously and passionately in love with God? Do you wake up every morning and go, wow, I'm such a sinner. But by God's grace, he's going to work in my life so I can, this is a day I can love the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I can rejoice and be glad in it. I can get to know his word more. I can seek him. And I can do the deeds that, that he is doing <laughs> and participate in, in his ongoing mission and live out of his, uh, the, you know, that posture of being seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. See, you know, what like Tom really brought out really well is he had always grown up. You know, his parents became Christians when he was five. He'd always been in church and all this kind of stuff. But he was squandering opportunities like school and and uh, all these things, even though he was ne- had never been drunk. He'd never technically fornicated, probably in his heart. No, we, we didn't discuss that. But uh, <laughs> he's from America. uh no, he's a sinner. You know... uh Uh, You know, he'd never actually stolen a car or anything. But you've coveted it. You've been apathetic in your relationship with God. You've been less uh, than zealous. You've stewarded less the opportunities you've had than you should have. And it's when you can begin to see that you're every bit as much of a sinner as some person who's acted that out. In fact, one of the things that can help you and this has been helpful because I've tried to help a lot of people who've kind of grown up in that whole kind of passive, complacent, self righteous Christianity where you're just not all that radical. If you, uh, one of the things that can help you, you know, a lot of people will point back, uh, back to one sinful episode in their life and stuff. I encourage you to go deeper than that and uh, begin to understand sin for what it really is and understand that you're you're as sinful as everybody else, and you were born with that propensity not to be on fire for him. So, uh, you know, some other aspects of this sin nature thing is you're captive. Uh, You're a captive of lawlessness, self-justification, blame-shifting, apathy, rebellion, pride religion and so forth i I lost my train of thought one of the things that can help you is that when you've been a goody two shoes try to really get before god and have him help you understand that you probably did it from all the wrong motives you know frankly a lot of guys who were bold sinners were just just had more guts than you did a lot of really that's really what it gets down to a lot of times a lot of people who, you know, did it to please man and to fear man. And because you made a connection between getting a lot of attaboys and winning awards and so forth. But it had nothing to do with a desperate love for God. And therefore, it's actually really sick. Really sick. Paul calls it scubalon in Philippians 3. Analyze his whole list of performance-based credentials And he says, I count all of that as scubalon, which means crap, rubbish, shit. It means it's really disgusting, diarrhea, dirty. And it's like that stuff you step in and then you can't even bring your shoes in. And then after you try to clean them for a week, you finally just burn them. (laughs) It's like getting sprayed with a skunk. It's a lot, self-righteousness is a lot worse sin than we think it is. And having done our righteousness for the wrong motives is what the Bible means when it says that a, one of the foundations listed in, Ephes- in uh, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 is repentance from dead works. Doing righteousness for all the wrong reasons is actually a deep trap. And maybe that can help you um <laughs> I think what i'm gonna do is uh just uh change the title of this one to original sin, and we'll we'll get into next week looking we'll probably end up doing three or so weeks on sin uh It's a pretty good subject there's you know an old old joke about this. A uh, guy and his wife had somewhat of a cantankerous relationship, and she was always trying to get him to go to church. And you know, you gotta go to church. You gotta go to church. And so finally, he went to church. And he came back, and the wife says, "What the preacher preach about?" He said, "Sin." <laughs> and she said, "Well, what did he say about it?" He was again it. Uh, he was against it, you know, and uh, that's what he got out of church, but uh, so hopefully God can help us understand sin better, and I think next week we'll actually spend an, at least one more week, but probably a couple weeks uh, more on on the depth of sin, and we'll look at total depravity. You know, looking ahead, look down at point E, you're going to find that that just like this understanding sin is the key to, to getting out of performance-based and walking in grace-based, and it's the key to whether people are on fire or not. Anyone you see that's on fire has been deeply convinced by the Holy Spirit of the depth of their sin. Anyone who's not on fire has yet to experience that. And anytime time you're on fire doesn't seem to match the guys in the Bible or other uh, Christians that you can read about in history, start there. Be, uh, start with understanding that your sin is a lot deeper problem than you realize, and we will look at total depravity more in more detail next week. The sin nature, and then we will finally look at that beyond it being the key to zeal and walking by grace. It's the key to all fruitfulness. You'll never help anyone until you're walking that way, and in fact. You will, like the Pharisees, if you try to help people, you'll turn them into twice as much of a son of hell as you are. What a good way to close. Amen. (laughs)